Hi guys, welcome back to the Original Judo Podcast. I'm delighted to be joined by our guest today. Um, we're joined from across the pond. Um, I'm going to say the Atlantic Ocean, although I feel like I've got my geography wrong there. Um, he's a double Olympian. He's got four Pan American, so he's got four Continental Championship medals to his name. I'm delighted to welcome Colton Brown to the show. Colton, thank you so much for giving up your time. How are you doing? Thank you for having me. I, I really appreciate it. I'm, I'm doing well, actually, you know, I, and I think it is, as far as geography is concerned, I think it is the Atlantic Ocean. So you're right on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, if that's the only thing I'm right on today, that would be, be, be a win for me. Um, you are uh, recently retired after this Tokyo Olympic cycle, so I'm sure a lot of the uh, listeners um all four or five of them will know who you are <laughs> um but could you just give an outline of like your background in judo how you got started yeah um so my judo has been in my family forever so my grandfather actually did judo he brought it into my family and then he in turn my dad did judo all my uncles did judo so his siblings did judo so um i didn't have a choice when i was growing up so when i was seven years old it wasn't hey, what sports do you want to play? Do you want to do this, this, and this? It was kind of like, you can kind of do whatever you want, but just understand that you will also be doing judo. And, uh, <laughs> you know, funny enough, as I, I hated judo as a kid. So I never liked it. I never, I hated training. I used to cry every single day when I had to go to training. And my dad didn't care. He was one of the assistant instructors on the mat. And he's a black belt himself. And he competed back in the day. But he was one of the assistant instructors on the mat. And when I would start crying, he would literally step over top of me and wouldn't care. He just walked right past me, <laughs> didn't pay me any attention. And uh, yeah, so um, that's how I kind of got started. And I, you know, I, I ended up liking it after a couple of years. I broke my leg and then I took a little break and then I came back. And when I came back, I was probably like 11 years old. And that's when I started training a little more seriously and I won a competition. I won the Junior US Open, which was one of our national competitions. Um, and then I was like, oh, wait, when you win, it feels cool. And then so that's when I started liking it. Yeah. Love that. And then in your career, you obviously went to two Olympics, a lot of continental championships. You spent a lot of your time kind of traveling the world. Are there any like standout experiences for you? Yeah, absolutely. So when I was 17, I graduated high school when I was 17 years old and um, I, I had I took a semester off of college. So I was going to go to university, but I took a semester off because my coach and dad wanted me to uh, go to Japan. So they were, I, I actually when I was 17, I went to live in Japan for five to six months and by myself. I had, you know, I, I I'd never really traveled outside of the country for that amount of time before. And I was living, you know, what was crazy was that I was living in a dorm. I was living at the dorms um, with in a room with seven other Japanese guys on bunk beds. So we would all stay on bunk beds and I was in I didn't speak any Japanese. And, um, you know, it was tough. The first couple of months were tough because I had never experienced that type of training before. They were doing 25 six minute rounds of Rondori every day. And I had never, never experienced it. And I granted at that time I was on the bottom of the totem pole. So I was getting killed every single round. I was just being a rag doll. And then on top of that, in Japan, at least is how it used to be. I talk like I'm old, but this is how it used to be back then. <laughs> um, they wouldn't talk to you really unless they were, they wouldn't take the effort to try to communicate with you unless they respected you. So it took me about a month 
to kind of gain their respect. And they're like, all right, this kid's kind of tough. He keeps getting up when we throw him and he's not going anywhere. So I guess we'll make an effort. And once that happened, it became a little, a little more bearable, but you know, we were tra- at that time I was training. We would wake up at like 4:45 AM. We would go on a team run. And then when they were out of school, we would train again at 9:30 AM. We would have, uh, I think it was 15 rounds of Rondori. And then again at the end of the, at, uh, 7 PM or 5:30 PM. And that would be another 20 rounds of Rondori. So this was eye-opening experience, very, very tough, but I credit that experience and just going through that um, to a lot of my success, you know, Olympic success and then my success now in business and everything like that. But if it wasn't for that experience and going through that grind, I don't think I would have been there. And the craziest part about that is my dad, when he sent me, he knew it was going to be really hard. And when he sent me, he said, listen, I'll buy you a ticket at any, if at any point you want to come home and it gets to be too much and you want to come home, you let me know. And we'll uh, and I'll book you I'll book you a return ticket. And there was actually a point, probably about a month a month and a half in, where I was like, oh my god, I've been a tough week of practice, got killed. There was no skin on my fingers. Everything was just going wrong. And I went to go send an email and say, Dad, I think I'm going to take you up on that offer. I want to come home, but the Wi-Fi wouldn't work, and I couldn't. I didn't have any cell service. Wi-Fi wasn't working and I was like, all right, I'll send it tomorrow. And I slept on it and never sent that email, but that was the best decision that I ever made or as fate had it, it was great that that happened. Oh, I love that. Is that, hey, I've, I've been trained in Japan enough times for two or three weeks at a time. And yeah, I wanted to come home very quickly. So <laughs> five or six months is, wow, that's that's impressive. Like what, where did that come from? Is that something you and your dad had kind of put together? Did you already have aspirations about going to an Olympics, um, competing for Team USA? Um, I was decent at the time. So I was just finally starting to get good. I was winning a couple of competitions on the national level. And, uh, you know, I, my, my dad said, listen, in order to get to the next level, you're, you're everybody that I've known has spent a significant amount of time in Japan and you have to learn to go through that. Like, let's see what the rest of the world is doing just so we can see what level you're really at. Cause it's kind of hard to gauge, especially at that time, there was no real world tour. So it was hard to gauge where I was opposed to the rest of the world. And, um, yeah, so he made, it was actually him and my first sensei, Sensei Inesco, who's the Olympic team coach for USA in, uh, 1992, 1996, I want to say also, but he was a couple time Olympic team coach or 88 and 92. And uh, he recommended – he's from Nichida. He was a captain of uh, mm-hmm. Nichida University – Nichida back in the day, which is one of the best – better universities in Japan. And he said, listen, if you want to get good, you have to spend time in Japan. And um, I, I guess we took it – I was like, all right, yeah, a couple weeks, let's go. And he said, no, you got to do three months or longer. It's not going to happen if you don't do three months or longer, especially at your age. You're young. Your body is resilient. You can take it. And, um, yeah, so that's, that's, that's how I got the idea of doing it. Love it. And then do you come back from that with a sense of like what it takes to get to the next level? Yeah, to go on and compete on the international stage. Oh, yeah, I, I came I, I came back with a reality check, if you want to call it that. <laughs> um, I, I was like, OK, we're really small. We're big fish in a very, very small pond in the US. And I, there's people in Japan that were killing me. Like, I mean, getting thrown 10, 15 times in a round. And you've never even heard of these people and you will never hear of them. It's so deep. The level of judo is so high there 
that um yeah it was like and and, and at that time there were a couple of other uh, international teams coming in so like the german team had come i trained with ole bischoff who then you know the year before won the olympics this is 2009 so the year before he won the olympics and uh so i got to train with a lot of these guys and i was like oh man i got a long way to go if i want to compete here and but you know what the the biggest thing with that that trip did was it, it like i said it was a reality check and I knew that in order to compete with these guys at the at the highest levels, that I would have to put in that type of work. And every year following that, I went to Japan at least once a year. So every year for the rest oh, wow. of my career, I went to Japan at least once a year for at least three weeks. Every single day, every year. Well, wow. yeah. And then, I guess, do you immediately see the impact? Like you 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 talked about how you were already kind of meddling at the national level. Um. Do you see the impact? Are you then starting to be able to compete internationally or is it selection for international events? Is that still some way off for you? Yeah, I was still a kid. So I was still 17. So I started after that experience when I got back from Japan, then I really started, you know, solidifying myself as a top competitor in the U.S. And, um, you know, after that time, I I think I went to the U.S. National Championships and I I took a silver medal. And then, you know, Travis Stevens actually was there. And he saw me and he hadn't, he, Travis, you know, he hadn't known me back then, but he had seen me and he said, hey, I want you to come to Boston to help me train for the world championships. So right from Japan, I went to the nationals, I took a silver medal, and then I was home for like maybe a week. And then I went to Boston for probably about a month at that time. I went to Boston and I was Jim Travis's training partner. And that became, um, you know, as I was brawling with him every single day, which was and people hear that and they're like, oh, my gosh, you, Travis is crazy. You were brawling with that guy at that age. But it was nothing compared to what I was doing in Japan. It was tough, but Japan kind of, you know, it, it, it prepared me for that experience, which ended up opening a bunch of doors. And I got to go to the Olympics as a training partner in London because of oh, wow. that. So I, Travis selected me as a training partner. I was spending a lot more time in Boston training with him. He kind of took me under his wing. And, you know, we remain really good friends to this day. But that experience in Japan opened up a lot more doors just because of the level that I was rising to at that time. You've talked about mending the US nationals and and I think you've talked about this before kind of on the podcast, like US is known as a wrestling country um, and that if you can compete nationally in wrestling, you're almost a shoe in internationally, you know? do the U.S. nationals in judo carry the same kind of prestige within the judo community? Then how does that translate when you get to the international level? And, you know, from my perspective, I'm, there is a significant step up. Like, I think U.S. is similar to the GB in this instance where, you know, you, you can win national medals, but the step up to be able to compete internationally is significant. Absolutely. I think that's a, that's a great question. Um, you know, the U.S., as far as judo and wrestling are concerned, in the U.S., wrestling is in, in implemented in the school system. So uh, there's an abundance of people wrestling. And then they offer college scholarships. So college education in the U.S., you know, is upwards of some, – some of these really good schools, upwards of $200,000 for four years. Like it's huge, huge investment. And, um, you know, you, if you're good at wrestling – you can get a scholarship and essentially that gets you $200,000. And maybe if you're really good, 
you're almost like I said, if you make if you win the national championships in wrestling and you get to compete at the world level in wrestling and you're part of you're from the U.S., you're almost guaranteed a world or Olympic medal. These guys, I, they're, I think they're, they're – if you don't medal at the World or Olympic Championships from the U.S. and you get to go, it, especially in freestyle wrestling, I, I think it's almost a failure to those guys. Wow. And um, so that's how big – there's just – it's a numbers game. And there are so many more people wrestling than doing judo. So just to get into the national championships, just to qualify to compete in the national championships in wrestling is, is a huge deal. Anybody can compete in nationals in judo. You can just sign up and register and then you can compete. So, um, and the numbers aren't, you know, where if we have, let's just say if we have 10,000 people doing judo in this country, there's 200,000 people wrestling in this country. So the, the pool that you have to pick from, the talent pool is way bigger in wrestling than it is in judo. And that's why I think that, uh, and I, I think the biggest thing is they, they got it in the school systems and because it's in the school systems and colleges recognize it and it's an NCAA sport, they get a, they get a lot more recognition. There's a lot more sponsorship opportunities and uh, the level is just way higher. So in judo, if you can medal at the national champion, even if you win the national championships, doesn't mean anything on an international level. You're it's 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 almost like it's it's a, it's a false sense of hope. That's what it gives. And now, you know, then the 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 U.S. is is kind of forcing some of the top athletes to compete in the national championships, which I think is good because it'll raise the level of the competition. And yeah. a lot of people will want to go see because, oh, they want to see these athletes that they only get to see internationally compete. And a lot of the other younger athletes will want to. That's their only chance to get to actually fight these guys. So and girls. So, um. I think that's that's also big. It's getting bigger, but it's still nowhere near the level of wrestling, and it's it, it's no indication on how you are going to do at the uh, world level of judo. So you come out of London having been Travis's training partner. Um, do you know at that stage that you want to be an Olympian? Do you know that Rio's on the cards? Are you looking ahead to Tokyo in, in, in eight years' time? I know they talk a lot about how a second Olympics is the one where, you know, people really kind of shine at. Is that part of your planning? Or again, you just look taking it one event at a time? Uh, after I after I went to London, so I, I did all of Trav, I did the preparation with Travis. Everything that he did for London, I did. So all of his weight training sessions, I was there. All of his uh, judo sessions, I was there. I was so I I put in a lot of work. And when I got to go to London as a, and watch that and watch you know the you know watching Travis compete for a medal and in the sem the crazy uh, legendary semifinal yeah, match with Billy Bischoff and you know seeing that um, I was like wow I really want to be here in Rio 2016. And the good thing about it is I knew what it took to get there because I was trading with him. So I was like, I have to put in this amount of work for the next four years. And if I can do that, um, then I have a chance of going to Rio. So it wasn't until London that my eyes really opened. And I was like, okay, I saw a lot of the guys that were competing. I, at that point, I was going to the international training camps. I was getting my hands on a lot of these guys. So I knew who these guys were. So at that point, I knew I was like, all right, this guy competed here. I threw him a couple of times in training. I think that if I, you know, if I do the right things and I, I, I take the correct steps that I can also have a chance to go to, to Rio 2016, but at the very least I can definitely do Tokyo 2020. 
And um, so that was my plan. Once I got there, I was like, I was, I was kind of uh, starstruck and I was like, wow, this feels surreal, but I want to be here. And, you know, we got to put in the work. So, yeah. And then what's that like? Because you, you come into uh, real, you know, having a handful of continental championship medals. Like it is, I, don't, I know it's a, a different continent effectively, but it's yeah. relatively close compared to Japan, Tokyo yeah. later on. Um, what are your aspirations for a Rio Olympics? Rio, I didn't know if I was going to go to Rio Olympics. So Rio Olympics, my qualification came down to the the Continental Championships. So okay. I was sitting right outside of qualification, and in order for me to qualify for Rio, um, two months before the Olympics, I had to get I had to get into the final of the Pan American Championships. And up until that point. I had only taken fifth place. So I took in 2014, I took fifth place. And in 2015, I took fifth place. And in order, so I was either, it was either you get to the final of the continental championships or I don't go to the Olympics. It was that. So it came down to a couple of matches and I knew that going in and I, my preparation, I went to Boston, I trained with Jimmy and Travis and we did the whole preparation together as a team. Um, And, but it was tough. It was a lot of pressure and I had to beat a couple of people that I had never beaten before. And the semifinal match came down to golden score. We were deep in golden score and it, it, it just came down to conditioning. And I, it was just, a, but I had never, I was 0-4 against this guy. I never beaten him, 0-4 against him. And we were in golden score and we both, because he had the same situation. If he beat me, he went to the Olympics. So <laughs> it was, it was that, it was, it was, hey, it was yeah. a clash. And um, it was hot. It was in Cuba. It was deep in golden score. We both had three matches before that match. So it was uh it was tough, but I think that all that that that's where I talk about that Japan training, uh the training camp we did in Japan and all the training I'd done with Travis and and just the mindset of knowing that hey we got to go this extra mile every single day because you're going to be tested and you're gonna wish that when you were in that battle that you had done this work and I did the work so I was calm there was never a point in that when I woke up on that day of that tournament. I knew I was going to get to the final. There was never a, a doubt in my mind. Like, hey, let's see, let's see what happens here. I knew I was like, I never even gotten close to beating this guy, but I knew on this day that nobody was going to beat me to get to that to get to that spot. So, um, yeah, it was it was, but it was tough. And I, so I was just happy to be there. Like, yeah. I w- I qualified and I was like, this is awesome. Um, and you know, I put in the work. I put in the work. We did an Olympic training camp. Uh, we went overseas. We did the whole thing. And um, but. I was, when I went to that first Olympics, I was like, you know what? The work is done. Um, I know I can stand with these guys. Let's see where the cards, the cards fall where they fall. I'm going to go out. I'm going to give it a hundred percent. And that's going to be that. And that was my first Olympic experience. Is there, like you, you, you've talked about your relationship with Travis. Um, you are kind of one of this first group of athletes who has followed on from, you know, a, a golden generation of U.S. athletes. You know, you have Kayla, uh, Harris and Mike Malloy in London, Kayla again, and then Travis in Rio. Yeah. Does that bring like additional expectation or pressure on you? Or again, are you because you have that relationship with them, are you kind of a step back from that? Uh, it was it was, you know, those guys, they were older than me, so. Like when I was in, I was in San Jose. So I went to San Jose State for university. Marty was the team captain when I was, when I first got there as a freshman. So she kind of, she took me under her wing and then we were all training in Boston. We would all do tra- camps together. We would all travel together. Um, So 
with them, they were more my peers and they kind of took me under their wing and they were like, hey, you're just going to do everything that we do. So it was never any pressure to perform. It was just like it was, you know, it was almost like a group of friends traveling the world. And but but they were older. So it was someone for me to look up to. But they Mm -hmm. respected me because I put in the work and we I went through everything that they went through. Um, So I, I never felt pressure. A lot of people thought that. But I never felt pressure from them. It was, you know, outside of the mat, we were all going out to eat together. We were doing this together. So it was really a, a, a group of friends, but also role models at the same time. And I was like, if I want to get to the level that these guys are at, I have to do more of this and less of what the rest of the country is doing. Yeah. So um, it, it was it was more like that. And I, you know, I, I took everything like I was reading the books that they were reading. I was eating the foods that they were eating. I was doing the same lifts as they were doing. It was more of that type of relationship that I had with them at that time. Love that. And then you, you come out of Rio, you straight into that cycle for, for, for Tokyo. What was that so- Tokyo cycle like? And again, have your goals changed by now? Yeah. So Tokyo cycle, like I knew in Rio, I was like, okay, I did it. I competed, whatever. Tokyo, I was was like, all right, I want to try to get a medal here. And I knew at that point I was seasoned. I was 24. I kind of knew, I I knew the ins and outs. I traveled the world. I'd been on the tour. I'd been on the circuit. So for me, I said, all right, we're going to do this professionally this time. And um, let's let, we're going to really try. I'm going to really try to make a run for it. And so I did everything right. I knew it wasn't a matter of qualifying. I knew I was going to qualify. So that was never even in the question. So I knew I was going to qualify. I did the work. Um, I trained a lot internationally. I went to back to Japan. I did. I was basically living living on the road. So I would go between Valencia, Montreal, and um, Boston. I was there for a while. And but I was just back and forth between these places, trying to train with the best all the time. And the thing with Tokyo was I was kind of coming into a stride. So I had Montreal. I got a Grand Prix medal. Uh, I, took, I took silver. I lost a very close final to the current Olympic champ at that time. Yeah. And then I, you know, I had gotten silver medals, another couple silver medals in the Continental. Um, I was beating guys in the top 10 in the world. I was winning matches at the Masters consistently and winning matches at the World Championship. So I felt really, really good leading up to Tokyo. And then COVID happened. And then when COVID happened, three months before the Olympics, I always knew I was going to retire after Tokyo. So I was like, after Tokyo, I know I'm done. So then I had this 90-day plan. I was like, I'm going to go as hard as I can for 90 days. And then after that, this is the last judo I'll ever do competitively in my life. And then COVID happened three months before the Olympics. So that put a wrench in everything. And then it kind of became is this happening? Are the Olympics happening? Am I training? What am I doing? Um, and nobody knew what was going on. So it was a period of uncertainty. And that was tough for me to deal with because at the same time, getting older, didn't really know what was happening, couldn't really train anywhere. The whole US was shut down, whole world was shut down. So um, I wasn't really sure, you know, I, I didn't know what, what, what we were going to do. And then another wrench gets thrown in, when they come back, now we're adding another year for the qualification. I was already qualified. Everything was done. We were good to go. Now they add a year. They throw more events than ever into the mix. And you're traveling. You got to wear mat. You get COVID tested. So I, I couldn't go to a couple of tournaments. I had COVID. And it was just uh, – it was really, really tough experience. And I think, again, that comes back to the mindset of you have to be able to adapt. It is what it is. 
We have to find a way to make it happen no matter what. And the goal didn't change. You know, we just I adapted to that situation and I lived on the road, lived overseas. And then we, we just we adapted and going into Tokyo, I felt really, really, really good. So, what kept what kept you in the sport at that time? Because again, I know uh, certainly over here there are one or two athletes who, yeah, you've you've completed effectively two Olympic cycles, three Olympic cycles really, yeah. and then yeah. um, that's hard. It takes a toll physically, mentally. Another year for a lot of people felt like a long time. What was it that kind of kept you in? I was I, I knew the amount of work that I had already put in, and I knew what that Olympics meant to me. So I said, I can't, regardless of if they postponed it one year, two years, whatever the case may be, I had to finish the race. So I was at, I, it's a marathon, right? You know, so the Olympic Olympic cycle is like a marathon and we were on the last lap and I couldn't run the whole race and then just stop the last lap due to circumstances out of my control. So it would, this is nothing that I had nothing to do with this. So I knew that regardless of anything, I had to finish the race because I never wanted to look back on my life in 10, 15 years and said, I could have been a two-time Olympian. Technically speaking, I was a two-time Olympian, but then I decided to stop because the world shut down and I, you know, I just, I, I lost motivation. I never lost motivation. I was unsure of what was going to happen, but I knew that I had to finish the race and regardless of the outcome, regardless of the result, I wanted to look back and say, I did everything I possibly could have done to be the best version of myself on both of those days. That's it. And you, you say you'd already made the decision that Tokyo was going to be the final run. A year later, Paris is only three years away. Like, <laughs> do you reconsider? Because it feels like it feels like now it's on the doorstep. It's about to happen. It feels like that two years has blown by oh yeah did you start considering did you look at it or again does that seem like a push too far you know i i i, I the federation came to me and they said listen it's because you're only 28 at that stage right it's 28, 28. Yeah, 28. yeah yeah so it was i i knew it was three years so everybody had come to me my teammates came to me uh the national team came to me the federation came to me and they said colton you're still young you can do it what do you, it's only three years. You got to put in the work. But I had my my motto leading up to that Olympics was empty the tank. I wanted to give everything that I had and let the cards fall where they fall. And after that, I wasn't going to come back because I knew that I didn't have like, although I could I have qualified for Paris? Probably. But I knew that I didn't have it would have felt like work to me. I knew that I didn't have the motivation to put in the type of work that I was putting in. I was waking up at 4.45 in the morning, I was doing mobility, then I had a technical session at 7.30 a.m., then I would lift at 1 p.m., and then I would have judo for two hours at uh, at night. And I would do that every single day. And I, I, I would never feel comfortable competing at the highest level if I wasn't able to do that. And I knew that I wouldn't be able to put in that type of work for three more years. As short as it sounds, I wasn't, I, I just wasn't mentally ready to do that. And I didn't, it didn't mean that much to me anymore to do. So I knew at that point that if I was doing, if I said yes, I would be doing it for reasons other than pure love and motivation for the game. So pre-COVID, Tokyo is going to be this, you know, ultimate 
judo experience going back to the home of the sport you know you, you are in the venue yep. where effectively the this the the sport has been born all these greats be, have gone before you yep. and then you know the the world shuts down yeah what does that experience end up being like well you know leading up to tokyo i was very very excited because not only was at the birthplace of judo not only was it the first olympic venue but it's where i had my start like that's where that's where i went for that that's where i kind of discovered my real love for judo and international judo and to be to be ending the journey where i started was huge for me that was like oh man this is going to be great there's going to be a packed arena the budokan is going to be huge and uh then yeah everything you know shut down but by that time we were used to it so i had been competing for a year with no with no no uh spectators in the venue and we had been mm -hmm. competing with taking 18,000 covid tests a day and it was just that was the way of life at that time and that's all we knew so we've we, we already adapted to it so even like on the day of Tokyo, it almost it almost was a it almost was peaceful because when I when I got there, I remember I got there on the 28th of July when I competed and I walked into the arena. I walked to the top of the stands and I sat there and it was an empty stadium and it was just the mats. And I looked at the mats and I sat there and I remembered because when I was there, that's where that's the venue that they used to have the uh, the, the university championships. So I would go there with the team in that exact venue and I would sit there and I would watch the tournaments. And I sat there and I thought about that and I thought about competing. I thought about all the all the times that I put an effort that I put into judo and the journey. And I said, man, the, it was a special experience for me. And I don't know if it would have been that special if the event was packed and the venue was packed. But it was very special and it was peaceful for me. The only thing that I regret is not being able to have my parents there. That was huge. So if my parents could have been there, my support system would have been there, that would have been great. But other than that, it was just the way of the world at that time, so it didn't really matter. And how how do you look back on that event now? Um, I, 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 that was the most fun that I've ever had doing judo in my life at a competition. That was yeah. the most fun I've ever had competing ever. There was a first time in my life I, was ne I wasn't nervous. I was not nervous. I woke up. I felt great. Um, I, and, and, you know, I gave everything that I had. You know, I won the first round. The second round uh, against – he was silver world silver medalist. Um, I, last time I fought him, he had beaten me probably – it was in a bronze medal match in a Grand Prix in Turkey a, few, a couple years before – a year or two before that. And he beat me in probably about a minute, maybe a minute and a half. And we went – deep into golden score this time. It was a very, very close match. This guy ended up going, beating the, the, the world champ the next round. Yeah, Zagang. Zagang, yeah, Zagang. Yeah, 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 yeah. So he went on to have a, a phenomenal day, and I think he ended up taking fifth. He fought for bronze, he lost for bronze, but he had he beat the number one seed, current world champ. He beat current world silver medalist, and, um, you know, I was I was right there. So that is the one day that I have, I have no regrets. Um, I had a lot of fun while competing, and afterwards, it was a little bittersweet because I knew that was it. There was no more Colton Brown competing in judo. So it was it was it was tough for me. You know, I had my tears, blah 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 blah. But um, looking back on it now, man, it was fun. I, I I look back at my judo journey and I'm like, every single step of that was fun, and that was kind of the final nail in the coffin. Love it. Yeah. No, I love that. 
Um, how how does the next step go? A lot of athletes face challenges when they step away from sport. Um, I know you are coaching now. Uh, you've got your own club. You coach for the National Centre. Like, how is that transition? Did you know you were going to go into coaching and stay in judo? Did you have like aspirations to move further away and then get drawn back in? What does that look like? And how yeah, do you cope so with that? The funny part about that was during COVID, which was probably the lowest part of my life, I had started doing, I started teaching private lessons to uh, make money. So I started teaching private lessons and then I was like, I didn't know what I wanted to do after judo. And at that point I was like, wow, I had gotten a couple of messages from a couple of the clients that I was teaching. Like, uh, this is incredible. You don't have no idea what you're doing for my life. And the sense of fulfillment that I got from that was huge. And I said, okay, you know what? I found out what I'm doing next. I'm going to coach. But not only wanted to coach, at the same time, I had been seeing these jujitsu businesses in the US and they these super successful jujitsu schools, four or five, six hundred member places, mm -hmm. and they were and, and they, you know, they were making good money, but at the same time, they were also creating a lot of change and and changing people's lives and impacting people's lives in a positive way. So I said, okay, I know that I like to coach. And my degree, I got a college degree in business. My dad has run a super successful business for many years. I said, the jiu-jitsu people can do this. There's no reason why the judo people can't. So I immediately wrote a business plan during COVID um, to start a training center after the Olympics. And uh, yeah, that was, and my, so my transition, I had a plan. And I think that a lot of people go through the post-Olympic depression and they, they, they go through uncertainty and then well, do I want to come back? Cause it's all they know. And it's such a big part of our lives that it, it's true. It is all I did for many years, but I also went to college and I also graduated college and I also had friends outside of judo. And I think that was a good step, but also having a plan. I created a plan a year before. And so right when I was done with the Olympics, I had work to do. Like I already had, I had to try to secure a place and, and get started with this whole thing. And then from that, numerous other opportunities came. So I had a plan. So it was, it went from, I went from being what I thought was busy training for the Olympics to I did not know what busy was. And <laughs> I'm still in that period of time now. So yeah. Love that. Again, um, the, the, the feedback I get all the time is that I say love that way too much. So I apologize. I'm, <laughs> I'm glad you love it though. I mean, that, that, yeah, that, that means great. a lot to me. Um, how have you found that? Because you're, you're right. Quite often have this conversation about how BJJ has this incredible model for, like you say, like running a really similar sport as a business, but having a huge impact on, you know, not just individuals, but uh, the community that it builds around it. Like, is that something you feel you are building with your club, you know, or have built or Absolutely. working towards? Um, I think that, you know, when I, I knew I was going to run it like a business, but my core, I wanted to stay true to my core values. And that was, I want to impact as many people's lives in a positive manner as I can. And I think when you have that, when you do that, the business side will take care of itself. So I knew I had a business. I was running everything professionally. I, I invested money to do this whole thing. And, um, you know, I was expecting, so just to give you an idea, when I first started, I opened my club a year and a half ago. I opened the training center a year and a half ago. And my goal was to have 30 active members by the end of the year. By the end of year one, I had 150. 
And it was just, and it was just, I, the only thing that I did, everybody's like, what is your secret? How are you doing this? Are you advertising? You must be spending loads of money on advertisement and doing this. I said, no, I, I believe in attraction, not advertisement. And I think that if you have the core value, if your core values are, let's impact these people's lives, you're passionate about what you do and you're good, you gotta be good. You have to be good at what you do, but you also have to have a certain level of passion. It's not work for me. I go in every day, I'm, I love what I do and I love the amount, I wanna impact lives and I wanna change people's lives and doing that attracts other people. And that is, you know, that's I guess the secret formula or whatever. And now, you know, a year and a half later, We've just expanded. We have another. We have another side, and I think that if more people, especially competitors, more people that we basically essentially have a PhD, we have a doctorate in judo. We spent so much time. We've traveled the world doing this. We've done it at the highest level. These guys and girls can do the same thing if they have the passion to do it. And you can make a real, you know, it's a, it's a good career. You can make decent money, but you more importantly you can affect people's lives in a positive way. And that if you can do that, then that's been more fulfilling for me than competing ever was. Amazing. Yeah. During that time, you've, uh, you're on board now with the US national coaching. Um, what are your kind of aspirations for US judo whilst you're a part of it? That, you know, may that be many years. Like what would you want your kind of legacy as a coach to be with them? Um, but for the national team, you know, I want to help, I want to create change for them and a positive change because, you know, the biggest thing, but leading up to 2016, we had Jimmy Pedro, he was traveling with just all the time. He was coaching, blah, blah, blah. So it was great. We were running training camps, but, uh, a lot of my career, I was by myself. I was, you know, I was, I had no coach in the chair. I was traveling to these camps alone and I, I had to figure things out on my own. And I, you know, I, it was, it was a blessing in disguise because now I figured so much out that I, I might not have been able to figure out with other people, but I want to where it would have, if I had a coach that had pointed something out to me overseas when I was competing with these guys or training with these guys, if I had somebody that pointed out to me, I could have made an adjustment in a week, but I had to figure it out on my own, which means it took me sometimes six months. My goal is to be there for those guys so they don't have to experience that. And I to put a plan in place where hey, we're going to do this as professionally as possible, but I'm also going to be there for you guys. And I want to, I'm going to be there for training camps for you. I want to help you every step of the way. We'll do video review and just, you know, somebody that they can trust and lean on when they, when they need somebody. And that's huge. So they're not alone on the journey. And that's my goal with them. And, you know, the Olympics are coming to the U S in 2028. So we're going to get 14 spots. So we're going to get 14 athletes. And my goal from now until then is to try to create the best U.S. or try to uh, facil help facilitate, create the best U.S. team possible so we have a good showing at that Olympics. And that's going to take a lot of work and it's going to take a lot of teamwork. But, you know, I think there is hope. Yeah, no, I mean, there's definitely hope. We had a, a team of your guys come over, uh, men and women, for the, the Birmingham Junior uh european cup um yeah. we had some on the mat um they came to the session after it's great for having the, the in the, the event there's some great judo players but great having at the camp and they came to like a kind of regional session as well yeah. like the attitudes were amazing they were supporting our little kids the coaches were fantastic it was incredible like it was all you could ask for in terms of like 
these young kids are coming. They've been role models to like the, the next generation of athletes. It was a, it was amazing. Um, and I'm bringing that up because I forgot to say thank you to your coaches who, who dragged them along to the session at the time. <laughs> so hopefully somewhere along the way, someone will hear that. They'll hear um, it. They'll hear it. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, uh, Colton, that has been absolutely amazing. I, I truly appreciate your time. Like if people kind of want to find the club, they want to hear more about the club, they want to get involved with the club, or yeah, they want to follow your journey as a coach, whether it's yeah with your business or with the US national team, like where can they find you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm on social media. I'm on Instagram, which I'm most active on is Instagram. Uh, CBrown90KG is my handle on Instagram. And then as far as the training center, uh, Colton Brown Training Center. I'm at Colton Brown Training Center on Instagram and C Brown 90 KG on Instagram. And um, I'm active. I'm very active, maybe more active than I should be. I post a lot of a lot of my athletes. I post a lot of my journey. I post a lot of things that's happening in the training center. So, you know, give it a like, give it a follow. And and yeah, anything that any any questions that anybody ever has about anything for me, I'm an open book. Feel free to direct message me. And yeah, I want to grow judo. Love that. Before you go, um, you I'll, just let me know what if you look back on. Have you got a contest or two that you look back and say that was you at your best? I'm hoping you you say the the couple of certain fights. Um, yeah, there was a I you know my first Grand Prix medal in 2013 in Miami, uh, bronze medal match against you know one of your guys, Matt Percy. Um, that was that's a good friend. So <laughs> I was great friend. He's coaching that. now for the Netherlands. We talk all the time when we're at these tournaments together. So uh, that was that that gave me a lot of confidence for my journey leading into Rio. Um, that match was one of my favorite matches. The match that probably people can't find uh, that that match that I discussed that semifinal match of the Continental Championships in 2016. If I could ever, I don't, I've never even seen the video of that match. I've never watched it. So if anybody can get their hands on that, that would be incredible. That would be great. I would love to see that match. Yeah, but I've never seen it before. But those are probably two of my favorite matches ever. Um, you know, because they 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 had a significant value on the rest of my career. That's amazing, and I'll I'll definitely net let Matt know that you you said you gave him an absolute <laughs> kicking. I lied. He beat me that he beat me before. He beat me a couple months before that, my first time ever fighting him. So uh, that was one of those matches where I was like, I had a lot of respect for him. He was he was like a legend in the game before that. And I was like, man, if I beat this guy, maybe I can hang with the rest of the world. So it was one of those situations. <laughs> Love that, Cole. Thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. I really appreciate you having me. Guys, I hope you have enjoyed that interview. Um, huge thanks to Colton for giving up his time and joining us. Uh, you know the score. Like, subscribe, blah, blah, blah. I will catch you soon.